Rock Harbor Church in Costa Mesa is a cutting-edge Christian church. It has extension campuses in many Orange County locations, including one just up the road here near Mission Hospital. Rock Harbor Church holds uh, to a philosophy of ministry that is a bit different than ours. Nevertheless, there's a lot that we can learn uh, from this church, especially about outreach and about engaging culture and the local community. One of the things that I admire most about Rock Harbor Church is a word that they deleted from their vocabulary on Sunday morning. It's a small word, really, and you might think it rather insignificant. It's the word to. T-O. In the past, when the worship service began, the pastor would get up on stage, turn to the audience, and say, Welcome to Rock Harbor Church. As if to suggest that the people had finally arrived to the destination of the church. But years ago, the church leaders at Rock Harbor got together and they decided to delete the word to from their opening greeting. So that instead of saying, welcome to Rock Harbor Church, instead they would simply say, welcome Rock Harbor. It was a small change in vocabulary, but it was a big change in terms of perspective. You see, the leaders at Rock Harbor did not want the people who come Sunday after Sunday after Sunday to suppose that as they pulled up in their cars and walked into the sanctuary, that they were somehow arriving at church, as if church were some building or some location or some defined event with a start time and an end time, 10 o'clock, to 11.30, or in our case, 10.10 to 12 noon or beyond. No, Rock Harbor wanted its people to remember that they are the church. That they weren't coming to Rock Harbor, but that they are Rock Harbor. That they're not arriving at church, but rather that the church, previously separated from one another, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, were now gathering together again on Sunday for worship, for teaching, for fellowship, and for prayer. Welcome, Rock Harbor. We've been away from each other for a long time as we've served Jesus in our communities, but now it's good to be back together again to praise God and to prepare one another to go out again this week, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and every other day of the week. Friends, we did not pull up in our cars and come to Coast Bible Church. We are Coast Bible. We are the church. And you're not just the church on Sunday. Your identification as members of the body of Christ, both of the church universal and of the local church, your identification as a member of that body is to define you, not just on Sunday, but on Monday, on Tuesday, on Wednesday, and all throughout the week. The Bible teaches us that our identity in Christ 
as a member of his body is what should characterize us more than anything else. More than our marriage, more than our job, more than our school, more than anything. And so when we consider today a topic like the purpose of the church, which is the title of this message, when we consider a topic like this one, in reality, we're really answering the question, what is my purpose? What is the meaning of my life? What should I do with my life? When we ask the question, what is the purpose of the church, we're also, because we're a part of the church, because we are the church, we're also asking the question, what's the purpose of my life? God exists in triune relationship with Himself. Father, Son, Spirit. And He's created us to be in relationship with one another. Not to live individually and selfishly, carrying out our personal wants and desires, but to live in community with other like-minded Christ followers. And so He's given us the church. He's made us, by faith in Christ, members of this wonderful and loving community. He's given us the church. And we didn't come to church today. We didn't drive to church. We came because we are the church. We walked in here because we are the church. Separated, yes, for the last six days. But today we come back. We are the church. We are the church 24 hours a day. We are the church seven days a week. And since we are primarily identified by our relationship in Christ and participation in His body, one of the greatest questions that we can ask in our entire life is what is the purpose of the church? As we answer that question, we're also answering the purpose of our life. And so on your outline there, everybody has an outline, I want you to write down just a couple notes and follow along. I've given additional scriptures today which we will not cover in full at all. But I did so simply for the purpose of demonstrating wholly and completely the purpose of the church. And I don't just mean by this the purpose of Coast Bible Church. I mean the purpose of the church as it's revealed in Scripture as a whole. So the purpose of the church, number one there on your outline, the purpose of the church is this. We are the church. We are the church. And we exist to exalt the Lord. We are the church, and we exist to exalt the Lord. One of the words used to describe God's people in the Old Testament was the Hebrew word kahal. It means assembly. And were you to do a word study, I've given you a a number of psalms there uh, that all detail the word kahal or assembly or congregation or gathering. And were you to do a word study on the word kahal in Hebrew or other like-minded words in the Old Testament you would find something in common again and again and again. Every time the kahal met, every time the assembly of God's people met, in particular in the Psalms, it was to do one thing and one thing alone. Praise God. To praise God. To worship God. To exalt God. David says time and time and time again, as does the prophets, as does the law, as does all the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, when the kahal met, they met with a focus on the Lord. 
They met with a desire to worship God. And then we come into the New Testament. And there's a new assembly that's formed. It's the ecclesia. It's the church. And just like the kahal of God in the Old Testament, so also the ecclesia exhibits similar characteristics. She shows a similar purpose when she gathers together. That purpose can be found in texts like Colossians 3.17, which reads this, And whatever you do, in word or in deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. On your outline as well, 1 Corinthians 10.31, Whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. The church is to be centered on the Lord. The church is to be centered on His Son, Jesus Christ. And it's not to be centered on the people. It's not to be centered on the pastor. It's not to be centered on the building. It's not to be centered on the music or anything else. The church is to be centered on God and God alone. Modern uh, critiques of the church are many. And we all hear them. Now, things like, uh, that church over there, well, they got a pretty good preacher, but the music's not so good. Oh, this church over here, yeah, well, the music's great, but man, the preaching stinks. Oh, this church over there, boy, they, you know, they, they, they got some great teaching, but man, they never do out, they never go out, they never, they never reach out into their community. On and on and on it goes. We have people who, when they explain their church, or, 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 and I always ask, well, why do you go to such and such a church? And I love to hear their answers. I'm usually laughing by the end of their answers. Because very rarely do people, do, do Christians today, respond to the question, why do you go to such and such a church, with the answer that says, because that church is focused on the Lord Jesus Christ. Usually it's, the pastor's really a great guy. He's funny. Or, oh, the music is amazing. You should hear that worship pastor. He's so good. He's a professional, you know. He's got a CD. (laughs) Rarely do you hear, when you ask someone the question, why do you go there? Why do you go to that church? Rarely do you hear the person respond, you know why I go there? It's because they are so focused on worshiping the Lord. They're so centered on Jesus Christ. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. See, friends, we we don't gather. The church is not to gather to meet your personal wants, to meet your personal desires. We don't gather to entertain. We don't gather to impress or to cater to others. The church is not to be concerned with what others, uh, the church is not to conduct its, its, its outworkings, its activities with a deep concern. Will we offend? Will we? The church is not politically correct at times. Rather, instead, the church is focused on what God thinks of her, of what God expects of us. And He expects us, according to His Word, to worship Him. He deserves it. He's our creator. He's our maker. He's our father. He's also our judge. But through his son, he's our savior and our friend. And there's only one, only one that we'll answer to when this life is over. 
God is deserving of our utmost attention. And the church, the kahal, the ecclesia of God, the people of God, exists to worship Him. That's the first purpose of the church. If, you're, if, if we're not worshiping the Lord, what are we doing? What are we doing? There's a second purpose there on your outline. The second purpose is this. The church gathers together to equip the saints. The church gathers together to equip the saints. I'm going to be using uh, really two words in, in, in tension here right now between two and three. The church gathered and really the church scattered, the church going out. Number two, that second point there is, what happens when the church meets? What happens when the church comes together at a time such as this? What happens when the people of God meet together? We equip the saints, the Bible says. Turn over to Ephesians chapter 4 and park it there, because we're going to be there. Uh, We're going to read it quite a few times, actually, today. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11. And as you're turning there, Paul here is explaining. He's giving us a, a window, really, into what the church, how the church is to be structured, how it is to operate. Take a look at Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 11, and we'll, we'll stop at 12. Paul writes this, Ephesians 4, 11 and 12, And he himself, that is Christ, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints. We'll stop right there. We'll get to the rest in just a moment. For the equipping of the saints. In Ephesians 4, we get a, we get a, a glimpse of the structure of the body of Christ. We get a glimpse of the order of the church. We see church leaders in verse 11, do we not? Apostles, prophets, we see evangelists, we see pastors, we see teachers, church leaders. Those whom God has given uh, certain spiritual gifts that are especially helpful for leading and teaching the church. And it is these leaders whom God calls to do what? To equip the saints. Equipping. Katartismos in Greek. It means to train. It means to prepare. It means to make ready. Equip the saints for what? Well, we'll answer that question in just a moment. But first I want to speak of the nature of this equipping. How are they being equipped? And then we'll talk about why now that they, why they've been equipped. How are we being equipped? To answer that question, we needn't turn very far, but turn a little bit earlier to Acts chapter 2. A little bit earlier in your Bible, Acts chapter 2. We come now to the day of Pentecost. Earlier than the time of what Paul wrote in Ephesians. But here we have the inception of the church. And there's an interesting statement that's made early on about the church and how it was to be equipped. In Acts 2.42, and, and, and I've said this before, but this was also one of the, the passages which Dr. J. Vernon McGee preached on when this church was dedicated, um, when this church building was dedicated, I should say, uh, back in 1970. Uh, five, And in Acts 2, verse 42, Luke summarizes, and he says this about the church. And they continued steadfastly in four things. In the apostles' doctrine, in fellowship, in breaking of bread, and in prayers. 
This is how the church gets equipped. Second purpose of the church, when the church gathers, is to be equipped. How do we get equipped? These four elements. These are the four core elements. The first, preaching and teaching. We equip by means of preaching and teaching. And thank God that's been a hallmark of Coast Bible Church. Amen? From the beginning of this church, Pastor Ridge Ryan, our founder, said this church is going to be a church focused on preaching the Word, which is exactly what Paul said in 2 Timothy 4. He said to Timothy, preach the Word. Be ready in season, out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and teaching. For the time will come when men will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they'll heap up for themselves teachers and they'll turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. The preaching of the Word, the Apostles' doctrine, was to be a core element in the equipping of the saints. And so, when we evaluate a church, one of the primary ways we evaluate it is, number one, is this church centered on God? Is it centered on the Lord Jesus Christ? Number two, is it equipping the saints? And a, and a huge component of that, one of the primary components of that, is to ask the question, is the Word being preached? Is the Word being taught? Are the people being instructed in how to read the Bible? How to pray? How to walk in the Spirit? How to evangelize? Are they being instructed in the Word, in the whole counsel of God, not in just a few books? We equip by preaching and teaching. That's the first, the Apostles' Doctrine. The second is this, in fellowship. We equip by experiencing fellowship or sharing with one another. The word sharing there is, is really the, the rendering of the Greek word koinonia or fellowship. It means to, to share not, not, and to share in a great many things. To share our lives together. To share each other's burdens. To share with each other's resources we're to meet together regularly for the purpose of coming together and sharing with one another. Sharing our lives. Imparting wisdom. Giving encouragement. Receiving encouragement. So on and so forth. I, um, anytime someone's going through a, a difficult time in their life, you know, I've seen it time and time again. Whether it's, whether it's illness or whether it's uh, just you know, a tough time at work or family troubles or whatever it is. And the tendency of so many, so many, is to say, yeah, I can't go to church today. I can't, go, I can't meet with the church today. Because I just, there's, too many, there's too many issues. There's too many problems in my life. There's too many things going on. I can't handle it. And I think to myself, that's precisely why you want to come. That's precisely why you want to be here. Because this is where we share. When you're hurting financially, this is where we share resources. When you're hurting physically in sickness, this is where we come and the elders lay hands on you and pray for you. When you're hurting emotionally, this is where you come and receive a listening ear. Receive some good counsel if needed. When you're far away from God, this is where you come and receive instruction again. 
sharing. That's why we come. We come to preach the Word. We come to have fellowship, to share in one another's lives. Hebrews, the author of Hebrews writes, let us, not, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Don't forsake the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhort one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Share. Share. And as we share with each other, we're also sharing uh, we ourselves are sharing with the church. We're sharing in the work of the ministry. Galatians 6, 1 Timothy 5. We're sharing uh, to those who have physical needs. Galatians talks about bearing with one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. We're also sharing, in particular, um, accountability, counsel. You know, people who are part of a church community and who are regularly participating in it, should expect that they will be held accountable, that they will be given good counsel when they need it, that they'll come here and when they have an issue, when they have a problem, that they'll go to an elder or go to a trusted member and receive good biblical wisdom. And if we're in sin, that we'll receive the gentle rebuke that we need to get our life back on track. Galatians 6.1, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in gentleness. Finally, we come uh, and we, we submit ourselves willfully to the community. And if need be, we receive correction. We receive discipline per Matthew 18. You know, we come and we submit ourselves to the leadership of the elders. How often do you see in the culture today people entering into a community and willfully submitting to others in the, in, in, in the, in the community? Now, instead, we're always in this contractual relationship. You know, we, 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 we sign an employment contract and we submit to the boss, but it's not, a, it's not so much a willful submission, it's kind of a contractual submission. When we go to school, you know, we, we, come, we walk into school and we sign a, a contract, you know, an educational contract or whatnot, that we'll perform these certain grades or else, you know, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get kicked out. And so we, we don't willfully come under the teacher, but we contractually come under the teacher. In the church, you walk in, and as you become a part of the church community, as you become a part of the church family, you are to willfully submit yourself to the elders. You're to willfully submit yourselves to one another, according to Ephesians 5. You're to show deference to everyone. You're to show respect to everyone. You're to not look to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. We share in church. We have fellowship in church. A third component there. We had the Apostles' Doctrine, which is preaching fellowship, preaching and teaching. We had fellowship, which is sharing with one another, sharing our lives, sharing resources, sharing our burdens. And we also had the breaking of bread, which is essentially, in, the, in Acts 2.42, as they broke bread, they were speaking there of, of the Lord's Supper, of communion. They were speaking there of, of really worship. We've already attended to that in the first purpose. We said that the church meets to exalt the Lord. And so I won't belabor that issue again, but the church is equipped through worship. That's the difference. 
We don't just meet to worship God and to praise Him and to honor Him. Yes, we do that. But we also worship Him to be equipped. To be equipped. As we, as a community, as we lift up praise, as we lift up our voices, the praise of our lips, in spirit-filled expression, we're being equipped. We're being actually discipled into a mindset, a spiritual mindset, that says time and time again, I need to go to Him for all things. We're being trained in that as we worship the Lord. And so it is a discipline to worship. It is a spiritual discipline to sing. It is a spiritual discipline to close our eyes and to commune with God during a worship time. A lot of people don't like to sing. A lot of people think they don't have a good voice or, or they, they don't have that, they don't think they have that level of intimacy. They look around and they see others in the church who are closing their eyes, who have hands raised, and they think to themselves, boy, I don't have that. You know, every relationship with the Lord is different. Some of us relate to Him in different ways. But we, we aren't to compare our spirituality with others. I've seen people with raised hands who, whom, or perhaps not nearly as spiritual as someone who just sits there quietly. So we're not to look at, we're not to judge our spirituality by those around us, but instead we are to discipline ourselves to worship, to say this is important. Whether I have a good voice or whether I, uh, whether my intimacy with God is deep or is fragile, I am still going to lift up my voice because He's my Maker, He's my Savior. He's my God. Worship is equipping. Equipping a spiritual mindset. Finally, in the second purpose there of the church, when we gather, we're equipping the saints. We equip by praying. Acts 2.42, the apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. We equip by praying and depending upon God. The church is a dependent community. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Paul says, pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. It is also an equipping measure of a church to pray often and frequently with its people. Sometimes... We're guilty of this, and every church is. Sometimes we, you know, we use prayer as just kind of a filler. You know, oh, uh, we have we have put in a prayer right there, or, or let's you know let's uh, let's put the prayer in this spot of the service, and we we kind of designate it and, and make it something that's kind of habitual or routine. But no, prayer is also a discipline. It's a dependency upon God. It's a calling upon Him because He's the one to call upon. And as we finish this service, we're going to pray again for VBS. Because it's important. Because all this work that we've done up here, while wonderful, is yet man-made. And none of this is going to accomplish spiritual work. That can only come through the Holy Spirit. And so we're going to call upon the Lord and ask Him to bless our efforts, our man-made efforts, as good as they are. We still need the Lord's blessing to make that week great. These are the four core elements that are designed to equip God's people to train the church.
There are certainly other elements, I'm not suggesting otherwise, that are emphasized in Scripture. But these four, these four elements, the Apostles' doctrine, fellowship, breaking bread, worship, and prayer, they constitute the center of biblical training and development. It is the pastors and the teachers and the elders of the church who are to help implement and carry out this equipping. I grow tired of, uh, and I, I appreciated so much, uh, I've said it before, I'll say it again, I appreciated so much one of the statements by Jody Dillow, Dr. Jody Dillow, who came for our missions conference. Uh, I, I, res- I have such high respect for him, and I esteem him very, very highly. And the reason that I esteem him is because I see such great humility in the man. I used to, in my earlier uh, 20s, you know, I used to um, really esteem and honor those who were very, very public and very, almost, you know, the celebrity theologians and pastors. You know, the guys with the great names, with the big churches and the big stage, and they just, they spoke so slick and yet so forceful and powerful. These days, I've said it in elder meetings, you know, before, the quality that we look for when, when we share this pulpit is to find a man who's humble, is to find a man who's meek, is to find a man who knows the word yes, can teach the word yes, but more than that, doesn't make it about him, doesn't make it about his fantastic ability to speak, doesn't make it about how funny he is or how wonderful he is. Whenever a preacher starts talking about himself too much, you can kind of get worried sometimes. Because you wonder, what, what, are, we, what are we speaking on? Church leaders are not to be celebrities who are admired. Neither are they to be detached and aloof administrators. Instead, they are to be vibrantly praying for and with the members, involved in teaching, leading, counsel, giving wisdom, Their job is to equip the saints. The pastor, the teachers, the elders, their job is to equip the saints with those four core elements. Equip them for what, though? What are are we training for? What are we getting ready for as a church? That brings us to our third and final purpose. The third purpose on the back of your outline now, the third and final purpose, the purpose of the church is this. Renewed, renewed from meeting together, we go out to minister to and evangelize the lost. I'll say it again. Renewed, refreshed, energized from meeting together, we go out to minister to and evangelize the lost. Take a look again at Ephesians 4. I told you to stay there. I hope you did. Ephesians 4. Look again at verse 11 and 12. We're going to finish verse 12 this time. Paul writes this. And Jesus himself gave some to be apostles and some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers. Why did he give those people to the church? Verse 12. For the equipping of the saints, the training of the saints, for the work of the ministry. For the edifying of the body of Christ. The people of the church are not 
to be spectators. The people of the church are not to be spectators who watch the pastor and others do the work of the ministry. Instead, the Bible indicates that they're actually to be the primary participants, the primary participants of the church, identifying and using their training and giftedness to reach the world, to do the work of the ministry. Let me say that again. The people of the church are to be the primary participants for the work of the ministry. We gather to equip, to train, so that we might scatter, so that we might leave here Monday through Saturday to touch the local community and the world through the work of the ministry. We all know the Great Commission. Go therefore, Jesus said. Go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. We know that goal in theory. We know the goal is to go out from here and to make disciples, to, to help plant and water the seeds of the gospel that will bring the fruit of new disciples of Christ. And I know it's quite common today. We, we, have that, we have that mindset, that disciple-making, that we want to go out and, and, and convert and evangelize. We have that mindset, but the world has a different mindset as they watch us. It's quite common today for a non-believer to, um, when they hear the word uh, evangelical Christian in particular, when they hear the words evangelical Christian, the non-believer is generally going to think, oh, they're focused on proselytizing. They're focused on, and all they care about, is converting others to Christianity. And you know what? Part of their uh, assessment is, is very much true. Um, to that I, I somewhat say guilty as charged. I am concerned about converting others to Christianity. It's a deep concern of mine because Jesus told me to be concerned about it. But I also recognize, as many non-believers do, that oftentimes Christians only care about a person's eternal destiny and forget to love and care for the person in the here and now. So often it's the case that, that, that Christians today, they... they when they're speaking to a non-believer, they can get so preoccupied with their eternal destiny in conversing with them or in trying to relate to them that they miss out on ministering in the here and now when that person is sick, when that person is in a broken relationship, when that non-believer loses a job or is in need. Are we quick to respond? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. We know that's a part of it. And we know that making disciples is a lifelong process. We're still, I'm still, you're still in the process of discipleship. And so as we approach the world, as we approach the non-believer, as we walk outside these doors, we've, we've been refreshed now, our third purpose, refreshed from meeting together. We go out 
we scatter so that we might minister to and evangelize the lost. And it requires a few things. Number one, it requires cultivating trust and a good reputation. Colossians 4, 5 and 6, Paul writes, Walk in wisdom with those who are outside, outside the church. Walk in wisdom toward those who are outside. Redeeming the time. Let your speech be with grace, seasoned with salt. Jesus said in Matthew 5.16, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father. Having established that good reputation in the world, we are to couple. We are to then couple our good works. Having established them firmly, having been a person of good repute, having had speech seasoned with grace and, and salt, having exhibited good works, having that testimony a faith that is tried and tested, having demonstrated to our friends, to our neighbors who do not know Jesus, that we walk the talk. We are to then couple our good works with a clear presentation of the Gospel. It is not enough to just meet physical needs. They are important. And they deserve much attention. But as we meet these needs, we must keep an eye on the end goal to plant the seed of the gospel. Paul in Romans 10. How then shall they call on Him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in Him if they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach unless they are sent? So then faith comes by hearing. And hearing by the Word of God. We can't just meet physical needs. And yet we must meet physical needs. We must go out. We must meet the person who's in emotional distress. We must meet the person who's lost a job. We must meet the person who's in a broken marriage or relationship. We must meet them. Meet our neighbors. Meet our friends where they're at. Serve and meet that need. Ministry. Do the work of the ministry. But if that's all we do, we're selling the good news short. We've got to couple the physical meeting of needs with the ultimate spiritual message of the Gospel. And some might say, well, that's not my job. I'm not an evangelist. I don't know how to preach the Gospel. I don't know how to tell people the Gospel. I'm no evangelist. That's the evangelist's job. Let him do it. Let her do it. Not quite. One more time, Ephesians 4. One more time. Look at it again. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12. One more time. And Jesus Himself gave to the church. He gave some to be apostles, some prophets. He gave some evangelists to the church and some pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. Now, if you can read that in the way that it's been prepared, it's quite clear what Paul meant by it. He said that not only are the apostles and prophets given to train the saints, we knew that, not only are the pastors and teachers given to the saints to, to train and equip them, we knew that. He says... The evangelists are given to the saints, given to the church, to train them to go out 
and do the work of the ministry. Even share the gospel. Even preach the gospel. Which is to say that those in the church, those leaders in the church, who are especially attuned to speaking and teaching about the gospel of Jesus, those who are especially attuned to wanting to make disciples and go out and reach the world, those leaders, those gifted leaders in the church, are given to the church to equip you to do that very thing. We must all be actively ready to defend the faith. Paul did it time and time again. Peter did it as well. I've given you some verses there in the end in Acts and 1 Peter. This is the purpose of the church, friends. These three purposes. Number one, again, we are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. Not just on Sunday, but all the time. As much as you're defined by your marriage, by your kids, by your job, by where you went to school... I'm telling you today, you are more so defined by the fact that you are a son or daughter of the living God and you're a member of His church. We are the church and we exist. We are created to exalt the Lord. Two, when the church meets, gathers, we equip the saints. That's the purpose of this component of the church's life. And once we've done that, renewed, energized, refreshed, strengthened from meeting together, we go out to minister to and evangelize the lost. The church is not measured in the way that man measures businesses, organizations, etc. In business, we measure things by the number of people, the amount of money, How big the buildings are. What was the profit margin? How many, uh, how many tasks that we, did we get accomplished? How many, uh, how many things did we sell? The church is not like that. The church is measured much differently. She is measured by whether or not the people are focused on God, whether they've come in to be refreshed, strengthened, trained, edified, and whether they're ready to go out and do the work of the ministry. There's a lot to be done. And, uh, you know, one of the things that my hope, and I, I, I'd like to think I've, I, I try and do it every time, but when, you know, when we get a new couple that walks in the door, I'm always desiring to ask them, you know, what is it that makes you tick in ministry? What do you love to do? What, is, what, what burden has God given to you? And whatever it is, I actually I just had someone this week email me. And say, hey, I really want to get involved in, uh, in women's ministry. Where do, what do I do? Awesome. I'm so excited to you know, sit down with this individual, to connect her with other women in the church who are going to be a, a good fit for her to serve in ministry and then to go out and to reach out into the local community with whatever she would like to do. But friends, we're not just sitting in the pews and watching the pastor and watching the children's director do VBS, and watching the youth director teach the kids, and watching Doug strum on the guitar. We're not spectators. You're participants. And you're the primary participants. My job, and the elder's job, is to equip, is to train, is to ready all of us for the work of the ministry. 
And so if we're not doing the work of the ministry, then one of two things is happening. Either I'm not doing, and the elders are not doing, a good enough job training. Or, we're not defined by our participation in the body of Christ. Or we just think churches, eh, we'll go twice a month. That'll be good. Ah, we can skip. Let's sleep in. No. You know, in marriage, in marriage, uh, it's, it's till death do us part. It's the highs, it's the lows. There's difficulty, there's struggles. And yet, you look across the way at your spouse and say, I'm committed to you. Yeah, I'm going to fail you sometimes. We're going we're gonna to be in disharmony sometimes. But I'm committed to you. I'm focused on you. We're going to raise this family. We're going to do it right. God help us. Same attitude. The same attitude I want you to have with the church. You look at Coast Bible. You are Coast Bible. And you need to look at her and say, Coast Bible, we are with you. We're with you. We're with you. Let's work together. Let's cooperate. You see a problem? Fix it. (laughs) Pastor Neil, we have a problem. There's a problem over here, Pastor Neil. Would you please fix it? No! Fix it! You see an opportunity? Take it! You see someone hurting? Go minister to them. Don't wait for authorization. (laughs) The last thing you want to wait for. You are the church. Go be the church. Do the work of the ministry. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank You, Lord, for a clear purpose of the church. It's laid out in Your Word. We're to worship You. We're to meet together to get trained. And we, and once trained and refreshed and encouraged, we're to be energized to go out and to pour the love of Jesus to those around us. God, help us to stay focused on that purpose. And because, Lord, that You value our identity as members of the body of Christ more than any other identity that we have. We know, Lord, that the purpose of the church is also really the meaning of our life. It's the purpose of our life. To be centered on worshiping You. To be committed to being equipped in a local church so that we might go out refreshed and ready to meet physical and spiritual needs in the world. Thank you for that clear purpose, Lord. I pray that your spirit would guide us as we execute that purpose. In Jesus' name, amen.